Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 715 of the Juicebox podcast. Hello again, and welcome back to the Bold Beginning series. Today is actually the fifth episode, but third installment. The way that happened was that episode 702 was about honeymooning, 706 was about adult diagnosis, and then 711 was supposed to be terminology, but it got a little long, so that ended up being terminology part one at 711 and terminology part two at 712, which makes today's episode 715 Bold Beginnings, Fear of Insulin. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you're a U.S. resident who has type 1 diabetes or is the caregiver of someone with type 1, you can complete the survey at t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. Your answers to these simple questions will help people living with type 1 diabetes. t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. This episode of Bold Beginnings is sponsored by InPen from Medtronic Diabetes. You can get started today with the InPen at inpentoday.com. The podcast is also sponsored by the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter. Learn more about Arden's blood glucose meter at contournext.com forward slash juice box. Jenny, so far we have, uh, I think, three episodes of the Bold Beginnings series are out. Today, actually, as we record this, the uh, adult diagnosis one went up. And today we are going to record Fear of Insulin Lows and Highs. And Ooh. there were a ton of... Um, a ton of feedback that came from people. Again, these are uh, statements uh, from people in my private Facebook group when asked, what do you wish you would have known at diagnosis and uh, surrounding the fear of insulin, low blood sugars, high blood sugars, we got this back. So there's a couple of them here in the beginning. It's going to set the stage that don't really need a response. I was scared of insulin. Uh, the next one says, seriously, the fear of insulin was real. We were scared of insulin is the next one. We had to wake up twice a night for finger sticks, and it felt like we were chasing a blind number. Um, I'm really glad they did have me practice with glucagon because when I had to use it, even having to think about it, uh, you know, the, the person said they wanted to understand glucagon so badly because when they actually had to use it, they were having an experience that was so surreal that there was no time to think. Um, my daughter's had a couple of seizures and I know what that feels like. You're like, you, you just, you look at that package and you just hope your, your body remembers what to do, you know? Right. Um, the first thing I really want to talk about here is the, this statement from a person who said, I was handed a bunch of pamphlets and they said, read these. And oh, by the way, this insulin stuff, it can kill your kid. So don't do it wrong, but don't worry <laughs> because we've given you all the tools you need. And uh, this person said they were freaked out. Uh, instantly. Rightly so with that type of explanation. Come yeah. on, really? You're yeah. given pamphlets to explain something that for the most part, a lot of people who are using insulin are completely using it like off the standard label of 
prescription that their doctor told them. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, eventually you get to the point of, or many people do, of there is no fear and you understand the action of insulin. You understand how to manage around it. And that takes fear out of the picture because yeah. you, you, you get it. But initially to just be given these pamphlets, that's like here. Oh, and be careful because this could kill you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, clearly, right? <laughs> exactly. there's no fear here. <laughs> Everything's fine. Don't worry. We taught you everything you need to know. And you're sitting there thinking, I don't know anything. So how could right. that be true? Um, it is a really weird situation. It's like, hey, here's a car. Don't worry, they're super safe. But wear the seatbelt and drive 45 and don't hit anything for God's sakes because you're going to fly through the windshield and die. Um, but don't worry. We taught you where the brake was, so it's going to be okay. And it, it just – a lot of this does end up boiling down to the person that you luckily or unluckily bump into when you're diagnosed too. You know, just True. their ability to explain something. Because that that statement, you could just say it in reverse. You could say, hey, listen, we've set you up with all the tools that you need. I know you don't feel comfortable with them right now, but trust me, experiences are going to make them feel uh, more and more um, just just real to you, things you don't have to think about. But until you get to that point, it's important to remember that too much insulin could make you low, could give you put you in a seizure. I mean, if you gave yourself way too much, it could kill you. Uh, but you just have to say it backwards. You, 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 know you do. I mean? Yeah. And also bring in, and these are the preventative things that we're doing from the start so that that doesn't happen sooner. Eventually you will have low blood sugars. Eventually your child will have a low blood sugar. It will happen. I mean, they put out this, like insulin will, can, can cause a low blood sugar. Insulin will cause a low blood sugar. At some point in your life with diabetes, you will have a low blood sugar. You will, right? So just tell somebody that, right? That takes it out of the picture of, well, is it going to happen? Yes. Yes, it's going to happen. But this is what to do. These are the tools you have. You've got simple carbohydrate. This is what you can expect it to do. Mm-hmm. You've got glucagon. This is what you can expect that it's going to do for you. You've got these pieces to manage when that happens, right? which should help somebody feel less fear in using Right. It, right. It's yeah. not like they're dropping you off in the middle of the desert with nothing around and oh, here you go. But you got to take your insulin. Right. It's like when you, you send your kids out driving the first time, you're like, listen, drive very safely. Be aware of people around you when you have an accident, which is going to happen one day. Here's what you do next. You, you know, you don't say if because if gives you that feeling of like, well, maybe I'm going to be one of the people who it never happens to. Right. And then you spend your whole life kind of paranoid, paranoidally. That's that can't be a word, but you're paranoid. And it you, is now. It is. Damn it. I'll make up words <laughs> if I have to. But you, you get in this situation where you're constantly trying to stop a thing. It's it's like trying to stop the sun from coming up. Like one day your blood sugar is going to – and look, the next person says – I wish the doctors would have explained to us the likelihood of lows and how to treat them. No one told us about that. And my son had a, a bad low first time we came home. Uh, it sounds like uh, the kid was wearing a Libre 2. Wanders into their bedroom at 1130 going, hey, something's making noise in my room. Because you remember that the poor kids only had diabetes for two minutes, you know. Right. His blood sugar's 45. And then this poor lady sleeps in his bedroom for the next month. And, right. and then she gets a Dexcom that gives her, like, you know, alarms that are a little more um, in the moment and but a month she's on the floor or on a bed or something because now she doesn't know the kid doesn't know they're all in a panic why because somebody didn't just say what you just said you know uh, the first day my daughter went to 
kindergarten. I went to the nurse and I said, let me explain all this stuff to you. I explained it all to her. And she goes, don't worry, we won't let that happen. I said, oh, you misunderstand. I'm not telling you this stuff so you can stop it from happening. I'm telling you this stuff so that when it happens, you know what to do. Right. I was like, it's diabetes. We're not going to stop diabetes from being diabetes. You know, right. this lion right. is going to bite your face one day. Yeah. You know, right. I don't care how many times you go into the cage with it and it's fun and you're in Las Vegas and you're like, eh, is that a Siegfried and Roy reference? It is. Yeah. One day <laughs> the lion's going to kill you. Okay. <laughs> like, it's, it's at least going to come at you. you gotta, or at least bite your arm off. <laughs> yeah. You need to know how to hold up the whip in the chair when it happens, you know? So, right. Um, well, and there, there is actually what I was going to say, you know, you need to know what to do, but in some cases, I think people get really good tools and really good explanation. And in other cases, people do not. They get these rip-off pages that say, well, here you go. This is all the information that you need. Just make sure you read through it. Oh, and here's your medicine. It's called insulin. You have to take it here, here, and here. Oh, and you know, you you might have low blood sugar. Mm. But then again, what can you do about it? Or what are even some of the tools, or I guess what are some of the variables that could cause a low blood sugar? So you're ready right? You can say, okay, well, activity will cause your insulin that you have to take Mm -hmm. to work better. So be careful for low blood sugars. If your child eats a meal and then goes and plays soccer for three hours, right? right? All these things that they should know are sometimes the definite causes of low blood sugar, because then at least people are aware of where they might see a low. Mm -hmm. Well, and everything you're saying supports this next statement. The the person said there was so much anxiety. My child had a fear that the ambulance was going to come take him away constantly. And Aww. that fear took months to wear away, she said. So, you know, everything you just said would have given this person a little bit of calm or even something to say to the kid. Because the right. kid's like, what's going to happen? And when, you're, when your answer is, I don't know, it, it, you know, like that's not supportive in, in any way for people. Um. One person, this is great, because we're going to kind of segue here a little bit. Before we do, though, I want to say, I think it's it can be worse for adults that are diagnosed, because I think they get sometimes even less. And we talked about this in the adult diagnosis mm-hmm. episode, and it's fresh in my head because I just uh, put an edit on the show, and I, I just heard it again. But that when you're an adult, sometimes you're like, here's the insulin, go to the store, get this prescription filled for needles, and then go see your endo. And then you call the endo, and the endo is not available for 45 days. <laughs> Or worse, like six months. And in the meantime, they have you visit with like a nurse or somebody in between who, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's a definite disconnect for adults. Absolutely. And I think the other piece for adults is a lack of enough initial good information, but also many times that adult is on their own right? They may not have a spouse or a significant other or a family member who they're close enough with that they can share this with and get someone to look in on them, if you will, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And that makes it harder because kids who have a parent or a caregiver, there's somebody that's got their back, right? consistently paying attention for them. Adults don't have that. It It is on you. And you can slide into a, a depression. You could just slide into a, a, a complacency. Listen, it completely disconnected from from diabetes. My son just graduated from college. He's got a really good degree. He's a bright kid. And uh, we told him, like, come home from school. Like, you know, just take a little time, decompress and everything. But now he's been home for about three weeks. And I had to go into him the other day. And I'd be like, hey, 
let's get going now, right? Like, you know, like right. he, he's, he doesn't know. You've had your do. break. <laughs> yeah, he, like he, and he doesn't. It's just as simple as a situation where he doesn't know the next thing to do. And you kind of turtle up sometimes. And then this is about, and then on top of that, you're scared of low blood sugars or high, you know, whatever. Um, anyway, this next person says, I wish someone would have just told me that you can drink water when you're high and that'll help, you know. Uh, so that's an example. They don't even understand how hydration affects the way the insulin works. You right. Know? Um, Absolutely. So, okay, I wish I had known that it would take some time to decrease a blood sugar, the initial one, from the diagnosis number. And I ah. re I really wish someone would have told me that my daughter might feel low in the hundreds and and that even though the number was normal, she would feel like she was low, like that was never explained. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think people even understand that for the most part? I don't think so. And it's a, it's a very good point that this person brings up. Absolutely. You know, when you, when your body has grown accustomed to a glucose level, right. Mm -hmm. And at initial diagnosis, your body has gotten used to feeling nasty and it just thinks that that's the norm at a blood sugar of let's say 300 plus mm -hmm. potentially. And with that being the case, once your blood sugar starts to come down, now that you're taking insulin, even drifts in blood sugar, not drastic drops, but just a drift under where your body's kind of been residing for a time mm -hmm. can start to feel like a low blood sugar. Do you need to treat that? No, but it can be scary yeah. because it, it feels like all these symptoms you've been told to watch out for, which indicate, oh my goodness, my blood sugar's too low. But you look at your numbers, whether you're already on a CGM or you're just doing a finger stick, finger stick, because you're curious what is going on. Um, and the number doesn't look like it's in the low range, right. <laughs> it can be very hard to know, well, what do I do about this? Yeah. And, and the idea that you will get, your body will get accustomed to it after a while, but you can't forget while you're explaining all this to people, the feeling's still real. Yes. You, you, you feel like your blood sugar is 35 and your blood sugar is 110. And it's, it, it can take sometimes days and weeks, depending on how long you've been high for your body to get regular. Um, and, and, and feel that, feel that way when you're at a regular number, I should say. In fact, when I was, when I was diagnosed eons ago, <laughs> things were very different, but <laughs> there's no fancy stuff. Jenny got diagnosed, I, her mom had to go outside and wind up the car to take her to the hospital. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. God, you make me sound like I'm like 90. No. Um, but you know, I was in the hospital for a week, a full week, mm -hmm. and they wanted me to have a low blood sugar while I was in the hospital. Oh, okay. So that I could experience lows or a low symptom and know what to do about it with, I'm assuming the idea that there was somebody there with me mm -hmm. and that they could help me see how quickly it could be treated, how it would feel different once my blood sugar was normalized again. Right. Um, so, I mean, that was part of my week-long hospital stay wow. was. Did they announce it or did it just... Like, did they tell you we're going to make you low while you're here? Do you remember? No. No. Okay. Just happened. No. And then you realized. They, I do. Plan. Well, they did say that. I, I remember <laughs> the discussion, you know, with my parents, we would like for there to be an excursion to a lower level so that Jenny can get an idea of how that feels, that you can hopefully be here at that same time right. um, so that you can see how we treat it and everything. Um, and it, I did have a lower blood sugar. I mean, it was by no means 
low, low, yeah. but it was certainly low or dropping. Um, I do remember how I felt. Um, and But the good thing was that I got explanation. Yeah. Right. And for the little things that you end up figuring out on your own, like some, for a lot of people, you can feel a fall. So, yes. yeah, so you feel the fall before the number is an issue. And, Correct. You, you know, just stuff like that is great to learn. These next two statements are interesting. They're made by two different people. And it's a great perspective in into what someone thinks before they've heard the podcast and what someone thinks after they've heard the podcast. Right? Oh, awesome. So this first person says, I wish they had taught us to use insulin without being afraid of lows. So that's a person who's now been listening for the pod- to the podcast for a while. It's like, I know now how important using insulin is correctly. You know, the fear of lows is what was stopping me from using it, et cetera, et cetera. But then here's a person who is giving you perspective from before they heard the podcast. I had way too much fear of insulin. They pretty much had me feeling like I was going to kill my son probably within the first week. So, so there you go, right? Like there, there's got to be a better way to, and I think we've gone over a lot of it already, but there's got to be a better way to let people understand how insulin works other than just to say to them, don't do it. It feels like it's 1950 and they're like, if you smile at a boy, you're going to be pregnant. You you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) exactly. Right. Right. So there's. If, so if you're getting, if you're listening to this and you got that kind of information, I think you have to, you have to make the leap into the pro tip series and, and listen through so you can get an idea for how insulin works. So you can be, use it in a more targeted way or a more meaningful mm-hmm. way, you know, any way you, you kind of want to think about it. Um, because then it does, it does for many people. And I would say, you know, with this topic of fear of insulin, I think I've seen more adults who have had a fear of insulin tied with a fear to things being too low Mm -hmm. than kids. And many times parents are very, I would say parents are very good about not projecting their fears onto their children for them, for the most part. I mean, there are some that that's not the case for, but I think parents are, they try very hard to internalize worries and fears so that their child doesn't see that as well Mm -hmm. in terms of how to feel about something they're going to be living with, right? Adults, however, again, are the ones managing their own health. They're there may not be a secondary assistive person there for them. So the fear of insulin can be very real when you're the only one who's got your back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in, in that, I think it does, it's, it's learning about how does insulin work mm-hmm. and how does it work for you? And sometimes as I've worked with people, sometimes it's getting used to even just noting what small doses do. Mm-hmm. And then you can build on that, especially if you really just don't want to eat lettuce salads your entire life and you want to gravitate into other things that may require more insulin. Learning how to use more insulin should start in smaller doses then so that you can get a comfort level with what that does and with less need to over treat because there's not as much insulin left laying around. Right. Well, so here's the other side of it. Here's a comment. One piece of well-meaning but bad advice that I got from another type one was that a high blood sugar will not send you to the hospital, but a a low blood sugar can. So it's best to leave yourself high. So it's now that's better high than low, which, you know, and then. Hmm. um, 
That's very bad advice. Yeah. That's very bad advice. Do not listen to that piece of advice. <laughs> but but it's an interesting way of showing how when you get bad information at first, it leads to fear. And then you go out into the world because you think, oh, I know this thing that's going to save someone else. I have to go tell them. And now you, the internet's interesting because when you're listening to someone talk, you have no idea if they've had diabetes for three minutes longer than you or three years longer than you. And when you don't know what you're talking about, the first thing that's said to you often, you go, oh, okay, well, this person must know better than I do. And, you know, and that is the one, that's one spot where I'm proud of my Facebook group where people do speak up. And so, you know, if someone comes in with a kind of a new idea, someone else will nicely say, hey, look. You know, we all get told that in the beginning, but here's the reason why you don't want your blood sugar to be high, you know, right. highs cause lows and et cetera and stuff you'll find out listening to the podcast. Um, don't I ex- do like in the group, too, that a lot of people are very able to point to either some of the episodes that you've done about specific topics and yeah. said, hey, for a lot more in-depth information and really to clarify this question, listen here try or go episode. here yeah. or try this, right? There's a lot of, I, I tell you, there was a moment where I realized I can't keep up with this because it used to be me. Like during the day, I'd pop in and out and be like, hey, look at episode this or do that or right. try this. Have you listened to the pro tips? And one day I was like, I can't, I can't, I, I don't, I don't have <laughs> right. the bandwidth for this, you know? And and now right. 24 seven, <laughs> Isabel helps me with it now, which is terrific. But at one point I just said to the people in the group, I was like, if you see a question that can be answered by an episode, share the episode. And that's yes. been very helpful for people. Um, okay. So then you see the next person knows this and says, don't accept high blood sugars as a norm because you'll start looking at numbers and just going, ah, oh, 200. It's not that bad. You know, and and that right. turns into two ten, which turns into two fifty, and and on the way. Here's an interesting one. I was just told to take my insulin fifteen minutes before my food to prebolus, so I injected ten units of Novolog on a fifteen minute drive to get my food. I had a low on the highway, and and here's the kicker: I didn't even know insulin could cause a low. I wish someone would have mentioned that. <laughs> so so so. <laughs> Obviously, pre- okay. yeah, obviously, pre-bolusing is very important, right? Um, and to get your insulin timed well, and you'll hear that in other episodes. But this person, the information they got was almost good. Like, you need to pre-bolus. But the person never in their mind thought that the insulin could take them lower than they wanted to be. Like, imagine that. Like, you know what right. I mean? It's Right. Uh, Jenny, there's an ant on my wall. Hold. I hold, was going to say, hold, it looks like hold. you're looking at like. This has to die. Give me a second. <laughs> If you're using insulin and not ready for a pump or just don't want one, you should consider the InPen from Medtronic Diabetes. Now you can imagine an insulin pen is a great way to deliver insulin, but it doesn't give you a lot of the functionality that you'll get with an insulin pump. But the InPen from Medtronic Diabetes does offer a lot of functionality. It does that by hooking to an app on your cell phone. This app is going to give you a dosing calculator, dosing reminders, carb counting support, a digital logbook. It will show you your current glucose values, your meal history, your dose history, an activity log reports, glucose history, active insulin remaining, all in an attractive and easy to read application that goes right on your iPhone or your Android. You can learn more about it at inpentoday.com. 
And if you're ready to try it, just fill in a little bit of information and hit submit. Medtronic has an offer on the impen that is available to people with commercial insurance. Of course, terms and conditions apply, but you may pay as little as $35 for the impen. The impen that you can get at inpentoday.com. Links in the show notes of your podcast player and at juiceboxpodcast.com for the impen and for the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. Contournext.com forward slash juicebox. I just typed it in right now. When you get to this site, you're going to be met with something that says, what do your test strips really cost you? It may be cheaper to buy Contour Next test strips over the counter without a prescription. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if you're paying more through your insurance than you would in cash? That'd be nuts, right? Maybe not. Contournext.com forward slash juicebox. Learn more about the Contour Next One blood glucose meter and all of the products that Contour offers. You know, this website's really something. If you go to coverage and savings and then click on copay savings, there's a whole little thing here. Contour choice copay savings card. Eligible privately insured patients can save every month on test trips. You should go find out if you're eligible for that. That's pretty crazy. And it tells you more about the meter. The meter's terrific, by the way. Use it every day. Daughter loves it. Fits easy in your purse or your diabetes bag. Bright light for nighttime viewing. Test strips, of course, have second chance testing. And the screen is easy to read. Go check out the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. And everything that's available on this website. It's kind of very comprehensive. Not kind of very comprehensive. It's actually very comprehensive. Anyway, contournext.com forward slash juice box. It's the best blood glucose meter I've ever used. And it might be the best one you've ever used as well. And there's one way to find out. You click on the links. InPen requires a prescription and settings from your healthcare provider. You must use proper settings and follow the instructions as directed, or you could experience high or low blood glucose levels. For more safety information, visit InPenToday.com. I thought perhaps you had like water leaking from yeah, your ceiling or like, maybe ghosts you on your ceiling yeah. or something. Well, I, I'll tell you, I might have preferred a ghost because I, I don't believe in those. And, and so <laughs> I would have just thought I was like dizzy. But I kept thinking like that thing's going to crawl over my head and fall on me. <laughs> Sorry. It's like a big black ant. I've never had a black ant in this room. I'm going to have to sell this house. Okay. Um, in our house, it is stink bugs. Um, I don't I don't know where they have decided that their home is outside that they don't like, but they come in our house and I, I don't care. I just take them outside. Mm-hmm. My boys who love bugs and love stuff, they hate stink bugs. Yeah. They will come flying in and be like, ma, ah, there's a stink bug on the ceiling in my bedroom. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, okay, who's bigger? Yeah. Are you bigger? Go get or it. is the stink bug bigger? <laughs> you know, they're an import. Right, they came here. Oh, from, are they really? I, 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 this is not what this is about. Oh no, it's okay. I, I want to say China, maybe, but anyway, huh. look it up. Have fun finding out. Yeah. Uh, okay, so se- the next person says safe numbers are not high, even if doctors tell you that. Um, I wish someone would have been, you know, clear earlier. Um, another person says, I wish someone would have started in terms of telling me where to bring those numbers down. How do I do it with basil? Like, where, oh. do, where do carbs fit in? Like, they didn't have any. You know what I mean? Like the stuff that seems 
kind of obvious after you had diabetes for a while. In the beginning, it, none of that's going to feel obvious. Right. None of it. Like, you know, when you. Because it's brand new. Yeah, this is no a concept that nobody is taught about mm-hmm. at all. You may learn in, I mean, I remember learning about the the tiny little, I think it was two paragraphs in my human biology course in high school. And I myself having diabetes at that point, I was like, what is this bunch of like silliness? I was like, this in no way describes what I'm supposed to learn something from this. Yeah, in, in a way, it, it mirrors how little we tell people about nutrition even and like feel, feeling their body. Everybody just is like, look, I get up, I wash my butt, I get hungry, I put something <laughs> in my face. And then 10 right. years from now, when I'm 40 pounds heavier, I go, what happened? Right. <laughs> you know, like, like it's, it, it's yeah. just, nobody really understands how things work. And listen, I grew up really poorly. I grew up broke. Like it, my mom had $60 to buy food for three people, right, for a week. And we ate whatever Dunk. whatever we could. And it was usually yeah. crappy food. And by the time I was an adult, I was, I, I was heavy. Like I was just like Mike Kelly and I were together and like we didn't know what we were doing. We started over again. And, yeah. you know, we, we, we were able to take care of it. But it's amazing how through your life it's pervasive. You know, like when how hard, how easy it is to have a feeling of hunger and want to grab something that's easy in a bag or something like that versus like, uh, uh, let me have this orange or, or something to that effect. It just it gets burned into you and you don't know it. And that happens with people with diabetes all the time, because yes. as we're talking about these newly diagnosed problems, I can tell you that if you don't figure them out early you're going to be one of any number of people in their 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s who come on this show. Hold on. This Jenny. Somebody it, somebody was very importantly wanting to get in, you know, in touch with you. Walgreens again. Oh. Um, so so I I've talked to too many people who have had diabetes for decades who are still making the same I don't want to call them mistakes but decisions over and over again. And when you then present them with this information, it's sad because they think, well, why couldn't someone have told me this five or 10 or 20 years ago? Like I, I can't get this time back now, you know? And I, I think, and this is kind of a, it's a slippery slope to kind of, to walk on honestly, because I, I truly believe that it starts when someone is diagnosed and they are told, if we're just talking nutrition, right? Mm-hmm. They're essentially told you can eat anything you want right. and just take insulin when you're supposed to take it. It's supposed and to in be that, an empowering statement. Correct. Yeah. It's yeah. supposed to be empowering in that you don't have to worry as long as you just take this thing called insulin. Well, I mean, it brings in a whole nother rabbit hole of discussion, though, of, well, you want your child or you want yourself to be eating and doing what you see every other child doing, but is every other child eating the way that they should be eating, whether they have diabetes or not, or as an adult, are you eating the way that your colleagues are eating because that's what they're doing and you're only following suit? Is that really, do they look healthy? (laughs) (laughs) You know, know, I don't know. Do you know that there are um, three aisles in my grocery store? that I don't go down just based on the physical appearance of the people I see in the aisles. I just think, I just look at them and I think, I don't want my life to be like that. And I, I clearly don't need this aisle. Yes, yeah, something in those aisles 
is because because then there are, I, I I know I'm I know this is probably a weird thing to say, but then I look at other aisles where people seem more fit, and I don't see them. I don't see these two people in these different aisles, and I'm like, I'm gonna go follow the guy around with the nice calves and see what he buys. You you, you know what I mean? Sure. I mean, if you look at pictures, I mean, honestly, in the ages of development since I would say maybe the 1950s or 60s, potentially when more like processed, packaged, mm-hmm. convenient stuff probably started to become more the, the norm. If you look at pictures like beach photos from like the shore or something, yeah. it is very difficult to see a body that isn't somewhat fit. Most of the bodies look like healthy bodies. Today's pictures would look very, very different. different. I I mean, there's, there's gotta be something in the food and how we are packaging what we are eating. That's creating a lot of issue and 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 within diabetes. Yeah. And how does it fit into this subject? It, It fits into this subject because when you first have diabetes, bolusing for Real food is easier than bolusing for processed food. And, Correct. And no one's going to mention that to you. No one. No. This person says, not knowing how fast or slow insulin could hit or not knowing that, hey, this could kill you. At first, I was under the impression, this is the part that's important. I was under the impression that, okay, my kid's going to eat and I got this robotic insulin dosing strategy and everything is just going to be fine. And mm-hmm. so they were, you know, they were told, count the carbs, give the insulin, do it like this. It's all just going to work out. And it, yep. it doesn't go the same way. And that leads people to say things like, oh, it's just diabetes or, you know, one day I eat the same thing and then the next day I eat it and it's all different. No one tells you that the next day your insulin site is a, is a, is a day older. No one says, you know, you had a, you know, you, you don't know, right? Nobody gives you enough detail, the details. I had a burrito one day and I, I did well with it, but I had a burrito the next day and it didn't work. Well, what, did you make the burrito the first day and was the next day, right. was it from Taco Bell? Because, you know, that's, but in people's mind, it's burrito, burrito. And, Correct. you know, it's just, anyway, it's important. This person says, and I'm, I'm, I'm proud of this. I wish I would have known what Scott says, that trust what you know is going to happen is going to happen for Lowe's. When I treat Lowe's, I, I, you need to trust that it's going to work the way you know it's going to work. Mm-hmm. Other, otherwise, you're going to create a rebound high afterwards. Right. Which can ruin a day. Um, safe numbers aren't high numbers. Um, my first big concern was hypos. It's what they really hammered home in the hospital. She needs to eat this exact amount of food. It has to be weighed or she's going to have a hypo. And the person says, but what I learned is, is hypos are actually pretty straightforward and they're only a massive pain when my daughter's asleep. Um, mm-hmm. High blood sugars produce far more fear in me now. I assume there was only an issue with high blood sugars. With the oh, she assumed that high blood sugars were only a problem if there were a presence of ketones, and now she realizes hmm. that that's not right. So they didn't think a high number was a problem unless ketones were present. You right, know, it's, and- which is often when. I mean, there are two angles, right? Really low blood sugar, fear that. Really high blood sugar ketones, fear the potential of DKA. Mm-hmm. But you may have high blood sugars that are just within the realm of high enough without producing ketones that now you're leading into, if there's enough consistency to it, you're leading into continued damage. Yeah, right. 
long term. This next person says, I wish I would have known that every time the blood sugar shot up, I didn't have to check for ketones every single time. Like, th- so every time this kid gets a blood sugar over like 200, they're, they're testing ketones. And mm-hmm. you know, there's episodes on ketones and how to understand them. This person's quoting the podcast it says, instead of beating yourself up when blood sugar shoot up or down, figure out why and try to prevent it next time. Take this as a learning experience, but you have to know it's not going to be perfect. You know, Correct. May, maybe never and definitely not in the beginning. Um, you know, and just to speak about that for a second, um, these things are going to happen, right? They're, you're not going right. to stop them from happening. There's two, in my mind, there's two responses. You can panic and beat yourself up and be like, oh, I did it wrong. This sucks. I'm never going to figure this out. Or you can just realize there's a learning experience happening in front of you. And you step mm-hmm. back, take yourself out of it for a second and look at it. I put the food in here. I put the insulin in here. This is what happened next. I bet you if I would have done the insulin a little sooner or a little later, the food, you know, et cetera, if I would have just slid these things around in the timeline of my eating, I wonder how that would have impacted these bell curves that I'm seeing on my CGM or these numbers I'm seeing on right. my meter, right? It is. I mean, diabetes, I've, I've thought for a really long time how diabetes is, it, it is like a daily science experiment, mm-hmm. if if you will, right? And sometimes those days you're given the same little Petri dish with, you know, like orange growing spots. And because your day is similar enough to the days before, the dots keep growing purple because you got it. You, you've kind of figured it out. You know your timing, you know what ends up happening if you do it this way or that way. And then comes in a day where the dots turn orange and purple furry and whatever by the end of the day. And usually there's a variable in the picture that you've not encountered before or was something completely different that you've just, you know, you've never had that burrito from Johnny's corner (laughs) spot or whatever it is, you know? So you learn. This person says, "I, I wish someone would have told me to always carry snacks, supplies, and emergency treatment with you. I am frequently thrown by how many people don't travel with at least a juice box extra or their meters sometimes or stuff like that. Like I've talked to people like, I don't need my meter. I'm like, I, I, how do you know that? Like, if you know that, then this whole thing is easy. Like, like, cause you can predict there. It freaks me out a little bit. Like, you know, yeah. uh, if, if we drive, if we drive more than 30 minutes from my home, or we're doing something like you're going to go somewhere 20, 30 minutes away, but you plan on being there for three or four hours. I always say to my daughter, I'm like, take a pump with you. Yeah, you know, a right. little bit of insulin in a pump. I'm like, you don't want this whole day to be ruined. If something, if you bang into a door and your pump pops off or the thing stops working, you don't want to have to stop what you're doing no. and drive all the way back here. That's big picture stuff. Little easy picture stuff is you need your meter with you all the time. You need your, like, I'm fascinated by people who travel without the controller for their insulin pump. Like, well, what if you need insulin? I'll do it when I get back. When you get back, what are we talking about? Like, like, but right? you know, like, no, like, and, but for lows, you, you have to have a way to stop a low with you. Yes. And, and not just one way, like, like. Many. Maybe, maybe yeah, because what if you drink the juice and it keeps going? Is, is, you know, like, I mean, there's a difference between being paranoid and being prepared. <laughs> you can't. Correct. You, know, you need to be, you know, in a modern society, you know, somebody in America who's living in a house where food's readily available, I get, you know, going to your neighbor's house or something like that, not feeling scared. But you don't start getting into cars and driving to locations where, like, yes, there's a Wawa on every corner. I mean, you know, or some sort of a convenience store. But 
you're not in there if your blood sugar starts dropping and you're driving your car. You Correct. Know? So absolutely. I know at the in the turn of a season, usually like from from winter into like spring, summer, I have different purses, if you will, that I might use. Mm-hmm. And I always end up having to like dig in the pockets of the purses and fish out like the really old glucose tablets. <laughs> like, clearly uh-oh. they're like, you know, the, the sugar sort of starts to get harder and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, it's time to change those out. I, I would eat them if I had to, but they probably aren't going to taste very good. So we so. have juice boxes in the pockets, the po- our door pockets of our cars, right? Yeah. And one time we got down to the one where you you're looking at it and you think, I can't believe this is holding the liquid anymore. Like this should have been thrown away and replaced. It's like the squishy. Co- yeah. yeah. And we had to give it to Arden. And even when she took the box, she went, oh, this is going to be horrible. And I was like, sorry. And, you know, and it was. But it'll oh, work. It, it'll work. But it was like syrup. It wasn't even like it was bad. And she's she was looking at us like, you've got to be kidding me. I was like, I tell you to replace these things. No one listens to me. So, um there you go. Uh, here's an interesting one. I felt like I was bringing home a newborn baby. We talked about how diabetes can feel like a newborn baby. Um, but she said that the first low that, that she saw was a 74. And they were running around their house like a lunatic. Like, we have to stop this. <laughs> you know, like, it's 74. And it reminds Which can be scary if it was falling fast or if you had never seen that value. That's absolutely. Contextually, absolutely. But it, in a situation where you're looking at a fairly stable 74 and you're thinking like, life is just about to end. You know, like, you know, it's when you, <laughs> I say this sometimes because it's the one thing that I feel sad for people, but it does make me like laugh a little having been in this game for so long. It's when you see somebody like show a graph and this kid's, you know, blood sugar super stable and then it dipped down to 80 and then the caption says like I saved their life with a cookie. I'm like, nah, uh, what? <laughs> no, you, no, you didn't. <laughs> You stopped. We could have. Yeah, Who knows I mean, how, I mean, how how much it was going to dip after, yeah, right? Okay. But, yeah. Yeah. But but like that idea. But and really, what it outlines is that people just are not given accurate depictions of what a good blood sugar is, and and you know, right. I have an email that I've been going back and forth with this gentleman about. That I think this is a great place to put this. He said. I've been trying to keep my kids A1C as low as I can, blood sugars as low as I can. But then I ran into this person in the diabetes community who said, no, you can't do that because, you know, a blood sugar under 55 causes brain damage. And I always hear those conversations and I'm like, I'm like, I don't think anybody really knows, but it's a hard thing to respond to because I don't want to be the person who says, I don't think a 55 blood sugar is going to give you brain damage, but I don't want to say that out loud in case I'm wrong. You know what I mean? But I mean, right. I don't it's, want my daughter's – I don't want your blood sugar to be 55, Jenny, right? No, but no. It, should it dip I don't there, want it to be 55. Right, that but, doesn't feel nice. Yeah, but should it dip there for a couple of minutes? I that mean, is – the couple minutes is – it's it's kind of in theory the idea of cumulative time. It's just like highs, mm-hmm. right? So the idea of deprivation to the brain – over long periods of time or consistent over days and days and days of consistently having hours worth of low blood sugars. There is research about brain health, especially Mm -hmm. in kids. Absolutely. But if your blood sugar dips to 55 and I've certainly had 55 blood sugars and I don't think that I'm brain damaged. Do I sound brain damaged? (laughs) You want me to tell you? No, I'm kidding. No, you don't. You sound okay. (laughs) Well, the way I ended up responding was I said, look, you know, as we went back and forth and I, I got contextually better what they were saying, I said, listen, no one is saying 
that your blood sugar should be 55 for hours or, right. you know, like I, I said, low and stable A1Cs, not not like a life where you're like, oh, my God, I'm 40. Oh, my God, I'm 400. Oh, my God, I'm Correct. 40. I'm like, that's not good for you. I said, you want stability. But if you can't if you can't achieve an 80 blood sugar without it becoming a 55, you're not using your insulin correctly. Right. Right. And something needs adjustment. Absolutely. Right, right. So anyway, I, I mean, I don't know about I, I agree with what you said. I would not want any I would not want any measurement in my body to be way off for a long time. Right. Your thyroid no. your thyroid hormone's too high for a long time. It messes you up as a human being, right? If it's too low, it messes you up as a human being. Your blood sugar the same way. But you know, we talked about it earlier. You have diabetes, you're gonna get low at some point. Like it's Correct. just, you're going to get, you're going to, you're going to do something and your blood sugar is going to be 400 one day and it's just going to happen. And your blood sugar is going to be 55 one day and it's just going to happen. And you are going to be in a situation more times than you care to count in your life where you actually think you saved your life with a cookie, right? Like it is, Correct. it is going to happen. And yeah, you know, I think that's a value to these days of definitely having the technology, specifically the CGM technology that we have, mm -hmm. because you do have a little bit more visual in terms of that line of sight, right? Where you, where are you? Are you stable? Are you stable and sitting at home doing not very much? Okay, then yeah. great. If you're sitting at, you know, 82, you're probably not going to treat that. Because you're stable. What's mm -hmm. wrong with that? If you're 82 and you're going to head out on a 10-mile bike ride, you probably don't want an 82 blood sugar unless you've done something that you know is now going to hold that stable right. at that level, right? Yeah. Here's a couple of other things that are interesting to look at people's brains and how they work back and forth. Like, people are different, right? This one person says, I wish someone would have told me what happens when you go low. How low is going to make me pass out? What's going to happen to my body then? I wanted that information. But the next person says, here's the thing that messed me up. I thought the smallest mistake was going to kill me. And it created panic attacks. And mm. so there you go. Two different people in a similar situation. They want different things. Different things. And that is, in the end, why you have to go out and advocate for yourself and look for information. Because the doctor doesn't know if you're the, the person who's going to have a panic attack or if you're the person who says, hey, What's going to happen to me after I pass out? And when's that going to happen? Um, right. And those numbers are different for everybody. I've seen Arden have a seizure at, at I think, 20 was mm -hmm. a blood sugar. And I've seen her talking to me when she's 28, like there's nothing wrong. So I don't yeah. know what to tell you. you. You know what I mean? Um, it's, it's, there's a, it's a teeter line. Like it's, it's like you're dimming, it you're dimming a light and there's a moment where, you know, you still have plenty of room left on the dimmer, but the thing just goes off and you go, oh, that was weird. And, you, you know, so you it is what I would tell people is I don't want my daughter's blood sugar under 70 if I can help it. I mm -hmm. treat it when it looks like it's going to go to 65. I treat it more urgently when it's under that number, 60, 65, 55. I think we've messed up pretty good here. Um and, you know, lower than that, she's going to start becoming incapable of helping herself. Like, it's going to start to get worse and worse. Right. So, right. you know, to me, 70 is, I, I you know, is the And lowest. I think another thing that goes along with this, too, especially for kids, is I've had a lot of parents tell me, I ask my child how they're feeling. Mm -hmm. And they say, I'm fine, mommy. I feel just fine. Yeah. Kids Kids don't really, and I don't know that there's necessarily an age of awareness of symptoms. 
that they're, you know, that it starts to be like age eight, they'll definitely know what a low feels like. Right. Yeah. I think for every child or teen, it's probably going to be a little bit different. Um, but a lot of parents worry because their children just have no self-awareness of symptoms. Right. And that's hard because, you know, I, I know myself when my little kids get really busy with their Legos or whatever, like they are, sometimes I have to call to them like three or four times and get their attention. They are so yeah. into what they're doing that that awareness of other things is completely not there. Mm -hmm. And your kids don't have diabetes on top of all no. that. So no. Do you have a little time or you have to go? Yeah, I've got a little time. Okay. Um, another person, I guess we need an, an episode on this. The research about blood sugar numbers, what is actually less likely to cause long-term health, highs or lows? I mean, I, I don't know how scientific it is, but I, I'm more worried about highs than lows, um, you know, for long-term health, especially. I mean, short-term, a low blood sugar gets you right now, but, um, right. you know, long-term, I think it's a high. Uh, this is interesting. I focused so long on this and I don't think I should have uh, the perfect math. She says we were seriously mm -hmm. so scared to give a little too much insulin, like even by a tiny bit. And then quickly they realized that everything was sort of a best guess to begin with. Um, I, I used to on the old Omnipod PDM, you had to hold this arrow up to make the, the carb count go up. And, yes. and, and it would like get to, you know, I didn't really count carbs at that point at all. So I was like, oh, I'm going to do four units for this. And I'd hold the button. And if it stopped at four and a half, I was like, yeah, that's fine. It's <laughs> <And>, <laughs> <laughs> close enough. Um, now for little, little kids, a half a unit's a big deal. Actually, a woman made mm -hmm. a point in an earlier statement that I never brought up. She said, I once took a unit of insulin out and put it in a spoon. And then I took 10 units of insulin out and put it in a spoon. And she goes, and it freaked me out at how similar those two amounts look. And I, and I thought, yeah, it's, it is interesting, isn't it? Um, but in the, you know, obviously in a syringe, you can see it better, but right. um, th that's just an interesting one, right? Like, it is. You know, I, I see people all the time, like, well, I made a bolus, it was 4.1 and I think it was too much. And I'm like, but I guess, all right, you know, as you're, as you get bigger and you require more and more insulin, those tiny. Point one isn't going to make a hill of beans yeah, yeah. difference. It doesn't exactly. Really, it doesn't really. Which is the reason that many people, you know, especially pumpers, get frustrated when they're trying to correct higher blood sugars mm -hmm. and their pump is recommending something like point two units. And they think, well, point two, like what is point yeah. two? What's the purpose of that? It's not going to do anything to help me at this point. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's when they get more aggressive. And then you're like, oh, well, I clearly should have taken the point two instead. <laughs> Uh, this person says, I wish someone had told me that my eyesight was changing when I got low and that it would come back, um, like, I guess, from hmm. being dizzy. And also, she said, conversely, I had been high for so long that my eyesight had gotten bad and that as I brought my blood sugar down, that changed. That was scary. Um, mm -hmm. A person here says, I remember thinking that if she's still low, like, do I still do insulin, like, when I feed? You know, like, like, okay, she's 60, but she ate 20 carbs. And we talk about that on the podcast all the time. You need to cover the amount. You know, there's an amount of carbs to fix the low, and then there's an amount of carbs you don't need. Some of that needs insulin. Correct. And, and this one's interesting. I was told there was a three-hour rule that we couldn't give any insulin unless it had been three hours since the last dose. This caused many high blood sugars for us. Was not explained well. Um and and uh, it seems like a big one for newly diagnosed people, and I think you should bring it up, she said. So 
Think yeah. And, and I think, I mean, we talked about stacking, I think recently um, in an episode, but that yeah. kind of goes along with initially the idea that once insulin upon diagnosis, once insulin is starting to be injected, they're very cautious, assuming the potential for honeymoon. Mm-hmm. So what they're looking for is let's give a timeline of what we're expecting this rapid insulin dose to work over. And let's be careful about not adding extra within this. Mm-hmm. But as you know, you always say, if you've done it enough that you know that, well, yesterday and the day before I didn't do anything except after three hours and her blood sugar just sat high. Yeah. Clearly, there was more insulin that was needed there. Right. <laughs> so, so give are, more insulin. <laughs> and we are going to get into that in the next episode of this because the next thing we're going to do is the fifteen fifteen rule. So, ah. uh, we'll we'll get to talk a lot about that. But we're done. We made it through. There were a lot awesome. of questions in this one, and we chit chatted in the beginning uh, about personal stuff. So I'm pretty ha- before we started recording. So uh, yes. I'm very happy with what we got accomplished awesome. today. Thank you very much. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. A huge thanks to InPen from Medtronic Diabetes and the Contour <clears throat> and the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter. Head over to InPenToday.com and ContourNext.com forward slash juice box to learn more about the InPen and the Contour Next One. Just check them out. They're both terrific. Thanks to Jenny. Don't forget Jenny works at integrateddiabetes.com if you'd like to hire her. I hope you're enjoying the Bold Beginnings series. There's much more to come. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast. Hey, if you're still here, don't forget that juiceboxpodcast.com DiabetesProTip.com is a place where you can learn more about the podcast in general, find all the different series. There's a Facebook group for the podcast that has, I think, 27,000 people in it now. We're getting close to that, at least. Juicebox Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes on Facebook. It's a private group, so you'll have to answer a couple of questions before you're let in. Oh, oh, you know what else? In that Facebook group at the feature tab at the top, there are complete lists of all of the series that exist for the podcast. And I guess I got to find a way to get those lists on juiceboxpodcast.com too. I'll work on that. All right. That's enough chitty and chatty, right? I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you are, tell a friend. And don't forget to subscribe in a podcast app. Don't just listen. Subscribe or follow in like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, something like that. You should be able to find a great free app that you can listen to the podcast in. All right. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.